that are working together. Sis, talk about the working together um, for our good. So uh, again, in that first week, I wanted to make sure that we understood that it, it, there's not just one aspect of our life or one aspect of our family or one aspect of our church that need to work. Our bodies actually are a model of God's creative power to make systems work together, our skeletal system and our reproductive system and our endocrine system and our respiratory system and our circulatory system are all working together for you to be a living being, alive, awake, with the help of a little coffee maybe this morning, um, to be able to be here and to be present. Um, so we've wanted to be able to examine this. Let's put up the next slide. This is actually talking about um, understanding our minimum factor our minimum factor. Why is identifying health and strength important? The concept behind natural church development or the idea of being a healthy church is the idea that when one part or one system within us or within our church is weak, then the other systems around it are weak. And I really love this this beautiful cornucopia, we're coming into Thanksgiving week, we're talking about the harvest. And so I've said, you know, I'm in... I'm in Davis. In fact, this morning, there was a little boy in the nursery, had a Texas A&M uh, shirt on, very cool, very nice. Um, they're the Aggies, UC Davis, the Aggies. And so, so I wore my boots today, Dave. I wore my boots. And, and I was thinking about uh, agricultural illustration around this, about understanding this idea of minimum factor. Um, in the mid-19th century, there was really a breakthrough in soil science. I was just seeing if there were any soil science majors here. Um, but but, in talking, about, but uh, talking about how um, soil works, how we could fertilize soil in order to increase harvest yield. Is everybody going to stay with me on this agricultural illustration? Because it's really big. I mean, because this is harvest, this is, you know, uh, Thanksgiving week, it's the celebration of the ingathering. Right? This is Thanksgiving Day here at uh, Discovery Church, so we're, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. Let's talk about this for a minute. So it was Justice von Liebig in the mid-19th century who examined soils and found out there's four elements to make sure that you can increase crop yields. That's very, very important. Nitrogen, potash, lime, and phosphoric acid. So those things have to be in combination in soil and to increase the yield. Now, depending on the crop, you want a different formulation of those, those nutrients. Everybody with me so far? Well, what happened prior to his uh, science and his examination of this is that if you put nitrogen on the soil and it increased crop yield, you felt like you found a discovery, so you'd put more nitrogen and more nitrogen and more nitrogen and more nitrogen in order to increase yield, but there was an opposite thing that happened. There was actually a lesser harvest because there was too much nitrogen in the field at that point, and it actually poisoned the crop that they were trying to grow. It was out of balance. And the only way to bring it back into balance was to be able to increase those other nutrients of potash and phosphoric acid and, um, and lime to be able to balance the soil the way that there would be a greater harvest. And so that was a point of breakthrough in the mid-19th century to understanding how there was going to be this ability to increase yields and feed more people, bottom line. Fewer hungry people because of this science and this work. But around it is the idea that there has to be 
a process by which we understand what is missing, what is weak, what is deficient. How do we look at that? And then we begin to say, okay, as we address that and bring that up in the balance, then it's going to make everything else stronger. So one of the bright ideas that happened at the beginning of the series is we took a survey as a church. Let's look at the results of the survey. Next slide. It's coming. Drum roll, please. Dave? Oh, the slide is missing. I'm sorry. Maybe go to the slide before that, because I know that they got mixed around a little bit, and it's worth looking at. So go back a slide. There's no going back. All right, well, we're going to stay on this slide, and I'm just going to stay on that slide then. Don't go forward if we can't go back. <laughs> now we're going back. This is so exciting. Um, so if you do go back one more, that would be great. And one more. Uh, maybe, it just, maybe it just dropped out of the slide deck. But leave it there for a moment because this will help me to, to be able to share with you that when we did a survey at the beginning of this series, as a church, self-evaluation, we saw ourselves, and it was, it was very corroborated through other evidence as well, that our very top four characteristics were inspiring worship, were loving relationships, were um, holistic or, or uh, small groups that, that were... Um, comprehensive small groups, and um, gift-based ministry. Those were our top four, okay? Then our bottom four were passionate spirituality. Were, that was number five on the list. Number six was uh, need-meaning evangelism. Number seven was empowering leadership. And at the very bottom, very low-rated effective structures, Okay. So on this principle of saying what is deficient or what's missing, what do we need to focus on to be able to bring it up and bring it forward is to be able to look at this idea of useful structures. If that's our minimum, how is useful structures or maybe the one above it empowering leadership going to get stronger at discovery so that we can be stronger together as a church? So to be able to learn from that, now that's that slide further on. Let's um, open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7, because the early church really had to address this issue um, a number of times in the book of Acts, as you do uh, your own personal study of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6 is one of those transitional moments for the church, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 to 7. So if you have it on your Bible app or... Um, if you bring a Bible with you, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you as a core value for us is the authority of the word of God, of the scriptures for everything concerning faith and life. And we have a free Bible for you if you want to take one with you today at the communion stations in the middle of the room. Let's read this passage, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against, uh, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And this meant the daily distribution of food for the widows. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom, we'll, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and uh, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God's holy word. So what can we learn about useful structures from this passage? Um, first, I would just want you to think about the reality that the church is both an organism and an organization. Every organism actually has organization, has structure in it. And for the early church, there was really a tension between the organic nature of movement, right? So it started with the upper room prayer, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the preaching by Peter in the, in the public square, square explaining what was happening as all of the disciples who'd been filled with the Holy Spirit spread out in Jerusalem and were speaking in other languages, actually literal languages that people were understanding that their own language, they were hearing the gospel, and they're saying, what does this mean? Peter preaches the message. Thousands come to know Christ that day. Thousands accept Jesus as Messiah that day. And the church explodes from hundreds to thousands in a day. Talk about disrupting your structures, <laughs> disrupting how it's going to work. Now, it's said that there, was, there were actually structures that worked. They met in the temple courts and house to house. We talked about that the first week when we were talking about uh, being a family and loving relationships. They met in the temple courts and house to house for instruction and for fellowship and for sharing bread, sharing communion together, um, praying together. They were living life together um, as one. They were doing life together. And so there was this rhythm that was going on, but eventually it says, if you read through Acts chapters 1 to 5, that the teaching of Jesus had permeated Jerusalem so that everybody was talking about Jesus, whether they were following him as Messiah or not, um, but it had spread, and actually there were Hellenists, meaning those who had converted to Judaism that were Greeks, uh, that were um, part of the church, and also those who had grown up and been Jews and become widowed as Jews. And so as part of the, the Jewish faith, there was a very big focus, as there are, is now for those of us who are Christians, to take care of widows and orphans. It was important to God. God said, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless, and I'm going to be a husband to the widow. And so there was a distribution of food to those widows, and it was, if there was a perceived um, or actual um, discrepancy. There was a prejudice going on. There was something unjust about the distribution of this food. So, um, as the church grew, the, the church be then began to have different challenges. And how do you know in a church if yeah, the, the structures just don't work anymore, if there's, if there's stress and strain, if leadership's not working or structures aren't working? It's right there in the scripture. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. A complaint arose. All right, I'm going to do an actual show of hands. 
between all of you here, you've been part, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you've been part of one or more churches, probably two or three at this point in your maturing process, right? Have you ever been a part of a church with no complaints, nobody's ever grumbling or are having any complaint? Raise your hand. You've just been, I don't see any hands. Okay, so let's do the reverse. How many of you have been part of a church where there's been complaints? Okay, you got to raise your hand for one of those two questions. That's how that works, right? But I saw almost every hand go up. And, and so it, we, get, we grow in tension. We have difficulty with conflict. Most of us uh, are challenged by conflict. And complaints are, are difficult for us. But what complaints mean is what's been working doesn't work anymore. Amen? Complaints indicate, if you have a complaint in your own life, if you have a complaint in your workplace, if you have a complaint in your family, right? Whatever was working for a period of time now doesn't work. And what it means is you have to step back and you have to say we're willing to examine what we've been doing and what maybe we need to do now and maybe we need to do it differently or maybe we need to do it better, right? But what's been working hasn't been working, and that's what's happening in Acts chapter 6. The solution is saying, we're going to change how we're structured, how leadership happens in the church, how we're going to distribute responsibility and authority to fulfill that responsibility, and we're going to add this structure of faithful people full of the Holy Spirit. Um, in some versions, they're called deacons. Uh, later on, when you look at 1 Timothy and Titus, there's, there's a, a diaconate, uh, the servants who are doing this practical ministry uh, of benevolence. And so when I talked about empowering leadership two weeks ago, uh, we were talking about giving, uh, giving away or creating this idea of leadership that reproduces itself, that creates new ways of more people being able to do more and different kinds of ministry because the manifold grace of God expresses itself in so many different ways. And there's needs that come up that need to be addressed. So let's look at this passage and say, what are the characteristics of useful structures? And you'll see them on the screen behind and they're in your notes as well. If you have the notes, I actually added one. So let's take a look at it. In verses three and four, what we find is that responsibility is defined responsibility is defined. Part of the problem was that the church had grown so much that the apostles um, were, were stretched thin. They were doing too much as leaders, and there were specific things that were coming up that they needed to be able to give specific responsibility to. So in these verses, verse 3 and 4, you see two things. One is that there, there's going to be people who are taking care of the distribution of the food to the widows. That was their job. This business was going to be theirs, clearly. And what that allowed the apostles to do is to say, and we're going to focus on two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. So there was a division of responsibility. Clear responsibility was assigned. Now, the second thing that happens in verse 6 is a recognition and a resourcing of the new responsibility was given. Clearly authority. So how did that happen? It was a public announcement, right? And a public laying on of hands. So I would say, come on up here. We're going to lay hands and pray and say, these guys 
or in, our, our, in, in the church since then, in, in our contemporary situation, these men and women are going to be in charge of or have responsibility of this particular ministry. So last week, I had up on the, uh, the platform with me Rosa. We're recognizing her work with the youth ministry. We had Andrew Allen, who's now working with uh, our youth as the youth intern. He came up. We recognize publicly in the church, we're working on youth ministry in these ways, and these are people who have specific responsibility in that area, and they're given authority and resources. What's the greatest frustration of management or leaders? Some of you have been in this situation before. Is you're given responsibility without resources. Ouch, anyone? That is a tough spot to be in. You're given an assignment or a job, but you don't have what it takes to get it done. So useful structures, effective structures, are created in such a way where responsibility is defined and given, but then resources, empowerment, acknowledgement is also given to be able to get the job done. Now, this is my little add-on if you're taking notes on the, the paper that you got or even in the app. There's open communication in verse 6. Like I said, there's public announcement. Everyone knows. It's public knowledge. These people are working on this. These people are working on this. So if you have a complaint still about the distribution of food to the widows, don't go to Peter, James, and John anymore. Go to Stephen, Philip, and Nicanor, or one of the other four guys. Uh, I remember uh, the, the second week I was here, I was in staff meeting with our Discovery staff, and uh, I recognized that there was kind of a diffusion, uh, unclear about who's responsible for what, kind of some of the problems that were here, and I, and I taught the staff a very simple thing to say, and some of you may have heard this from them, I'm to blame for it, okay, I take full responsibility. What I taught them to say was, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not the best person to talk to about that, right? If it's not clearly your responsibility, and you know whose responsibility it is, it's so helpful when there's useful structures set up, because you could say, hey, if you have a question about the pastoral search that's going on and making progress, and we're getting candidates in, by the way, yay God, right? Woo! I would say, if you talk to me about it, I go, well, I could share this or that, but if you really want to know what's going on, go over there and talk to Kayla. Hi, Kayla. Right? Who's heading that up? Or one of the other people who are serving on that team. So there's open communication about who's in charge of what. So liberating. So everybody knows where the responsibility and the resources are to get done whatever might come up that would be a complaint. And then I love, I love, I love this. In verse 2, it says that the church is kind of busting along. There's increase happening in the church, verse 2. But then there's this complaint, and it's like, slow down or stop. You know, there's an issue, right? And kind of, we have to address that issue before things can accelerate again. And what happens in verse 7, they shift the structure the leaders don't go, well, we're going to keep doing it the way we've been doing it because it's been getting results before. Remember my illustration from agriculture. We're going to just pour some more nitrogen or more potash on that thing. 
And, and, and what that's going to do is actually it's going to poison her. It's going to burn out the crop. They step back and they said, no, there's a deficiency here. We've got to get new people in. And as that happens, what happens? The harvest continues. The church grows. More are added to their number. And even some of the priests were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This was a breakthrough. This was a breakthrough. And the breakthrough happened because they weren't going to say, this is how we've always done it. So you'll see on the screen the challenge to useful structures in church life throughout history has been traditionalism. Um, we can go up to that slide. The mission grows bigger and stronger. And the challenge of useful structures is traditionalism. In other words, we've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. In traditionalism, um, we can get into a habit or into a rut. So if you were here last week, we had a, a message on passion and spirituality, on um, being able to fire up our, our faith in our life. We did something that was a little uncomfortable for some of us at the end of, of the church service where we got in groups and we actually prayed out loud in groups at church. I know, so weird, so weird. Um, if you've not learned to pray out loud, church is a great place to do it, <laughs> by the way. So, so I thought it was, a, it was a, a good good practice for us, right? But if you talk about, um, I, I think about my own life, right? I get into these spiritual patterns where I get up and I have my chair, and next to my chair is this awesome drum from Africa from when I was traveling. And my, actually, the drum is where I put my Bible and my coffee. It's this big, awesome drum. You can play it or use it as an end table. It's awesome. And then I, I get my promise verse for the day. I meditate on that. And then I move to the book of the Bible that I'm reading through. And I read through it. Um, and then I pray. And I say, God, what, what do you want me to do today? And so this is my current pattern. But guess what? I've done... 25, 30 different patterns in my life. Because what I found about my pattern of my own personal spiritual devotional life is I get stuck. I get in a rut. I get in a habit. I'm like, I'm not hearing God the same way that I have been hearing him doing this. And I got to shake it up. I've got to sit in a different place. I've got to go on a walk with my dog and look at the beautiful fall foliage and pray out loud or I've got to fast. Or I've got to do something different to shake it up. Because the structure of my own personal devotional life is getting stale. Has anybody experienced that before? And you got to shake it up. You have to say, what's the useful or effective structure now for me in this? I remember a, a story that I heard a while ago about a family. And um, every Christmas, they would actually have a ham dinner. It was a tradition for their family. And they would cook, cook the ham. And the daughter was learning from the mom about cooking the ham for Christmas dinner. And as they prepped the, the ham to go into the oven, the mom cut off the two ends of the ham, glazed it in honey, yum, um, and put it in the oven. And as it was cooking, the daughter asked the mom, Mom, I understand we're cooking this ham for dinner, but why would you cut the ends of the ham off? And she said, well, um, that's how we've done it in our family. Um, but it doesn't make sense. You're losing that, that meat. I know, but... But my mom taught me to do it that way. It comes out so great. But let me ask her. So um, got on the phone. The mom got on the phone with her mother and asked her and said, well, you know what? Um, actually, I'm not entirely sure 
um, why we cut the ends of the ham off. My mom taught me how to do that. Now, believe it or not, there were four generations that were, were together in that place. Um, and the, the, the great-grandmother was in a nursing home, but totally still all there. And so when they visited her, they said, hey, can you tell us the story of the Christmas ham tradition and what and why we cook it? And she said, well, back when I was young, we had this uh, big ham that was given to us as a gift. And we were so happy to be able to cook this ham. But then when we looked at our oven, the ham wouldn't fit in the oven. <laughs> so we had to cut the ends of the ham off to be able to fit it in the pan that would fit in the oven. So, you know, sometimes we're doing things and we haven't, remember my illustration without tripping over wires, is to step back and examine is what we've been doing all along what we should be doing now. And the answer is this, if you're gonna write something down, write this down because it applies to you, it applies to your family, especially if you're regathering around Thanksgiving, and it applies to our church, Discovery Church, and all the other congregations um, that we know of. This is the answer <laughs> uh, to traditionalism, is continual structural renewal. Those three words. Continual structural renewal. Setting rhythms to examine what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Is it getting the result we want to get? Anybody who's been here who you've been married for a, a period of years or even decades, if you've been doing family for a period of years or period of decades, you know what was working isn't necessarily going to work now. I think we have a, this, this illustration here, changes normal in season. Can you all say that? Let's read that together on three. Ready? One, two, three. Change is normal in season. So, you know, when we have something that works, it's so comforting, and it could work for months or maybe even years. But um, the way life works is we have seasons where change needs to happen. Now, I, I put this illustration up there because that's a single bed with a headboard and a footboard. In 1997, Heather and myself had the joy of welcoming into the world Nathaniel Jeffrey Kreiser our oldest son. He was a big baby. But he fit in the crib. He fit in the crib. Until at about 19 months, he kicked the slats out of the crib because he wanted out. And, uh, and we got him a little toddler bed. You know, parents, you've been through this process, you know how this works. The toddler bed gave way to a single bed, and the single bed gave way to a full-size bed as he became a six foot five inch man. He's away at the Air Force Academy, he's gonna be coming home for Thanksgiving and we realize that full size bed is now containing our youngest son, Joel, who's now a full size man. And what's waiting in Nathan's room is that. <laughs> we said that's not fair. So we bought another full size bed, right? Change is normal in season. Why? Because we grow. Our family grows and changes. Our church grows and changes. So we don't have to worry about it. My parents just finally, after five years of encouragement from myself and my brothers, bought a single-story house that's slightly smaller than their two-story house right now. 
and they're going to make a move in January. My dad's 82 and my mom is 79 and they go up and down these very steep stairs all the time, very anxiety producing, <laughs> honestly. So we're so happy because change is normal in season. Let me talk for you uh, for a moment again back on our subject of scripture. Um, there were a lot of changes that were happening in, happening in that early church, right? That was one change that we read about in chapter 6. In chapter 7, one of those identified um, leaders preaches a pretty crazy sermon. In fact, it's so crazy, he only gets through half of it before they decide to kill him because it's pretty radical. Stephen dies. While he dies, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. Little plug, little, like, scripture special for you. The only time we ever see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Standing is honor. Stephen's the first known person that we know who died for their faith in Jesus. But guess what? The church was scattered to Judea and Samaria. The function and how the Jerusalem church worked from then on was altered. Sometimes things disrupt us disrupt our life, our personal life, disrupt our family life, disrupt our church life, and things have to change quickly because what worked before doesn't work now. I want to encourage you as you consider in your own life and the life of your family and the life of our church as we conclude this series and we're going to keep thinking about these things as we move into the new year is continual structural renewal is okay. In fact, it's healthy and normal. And there's times of reflection to say, what, needs, what do we need to do now to make it work now? So let me share with you a couple things about Discovery Church as we close our message today. Um, we're evaluating and making useful structures for now. And go to the next slide, because I think there's like a calendar page. Yay. So, you know, where to from here? Discovery Church is in a season of in-between senior pastors. If you're new to uh, Discovery today, we're in a pastoral search process. We're looking forward to that new senior pastor coming. I'm Pastor Jeff Kreiser. I'm the transitional pastor during this time, working with fantastic staff, elders, and other leaders. Um, but we're basically in this in-between time. But we can anticipate when that, that new pastor comes on after he's here for a few months, or maybe a year, we're going to step back and we're going to say, what are the effective structures that allow us to continue to go? They could carry over well from the transition, or they might get tweaked, or there might be something brand new. But we're going to look at it in a way that says, what's the best way we can work together, be together, be structured together to fulfill the mission of Discovery Church? I really feel like there was a kickoff of this yesterday. I want, uh, some of you uh, were able to participate in this yesterday, but I want to let you all know as a congregation that yesterday we had our very first leadership community meeting. We met at the ministry center. There were over, there were 40-something people. I didn't actually get a really good count. Leslie will tell me later. Hopefully she counted. Um, but we were in the process of an ongoing evaluation of areas of ministry and current structures and how they work. So... Months, uh, three months ago, we had a youth pastor, and that youth pastor had some staff, and they had very specific limited functions. The youth ministries change now, where we have an administrator and a youth intern and very specific responsibilities for the different youth staff. We had a huddle yesterday afterward. I had the opportunity two weeks ago to sit with the women's ministry leadership of the church. 
They've stepped back and say, looking at their structures and programs and different things the women's ministry's done and said, what's the best thing we can do between now and when the new pastor comes or as the new pastor comes so that we have effective ministry with the women? Uh, the men's ministry, in the same way, looking and saying, what's the best thing we could do? And they said, well, we love our retreat. Great things happen. And they, boom, they put it on the calendar for August of 2018. We're going out as men uh, to be able to grow. Um, we have had a new and excellent structure that's been developed for setting up and taking down our, our Sunday activity with David and Marissa giving leadership um, and uh, Jake Guerrero working in terms of staff and many of you pitching in and saying, I'm willing to help and to serve and to help do that. So we're in a process of stepping back and stepping forward as we close the year saying, what's the most useful structures that we can create and creating an environment for leaders to lead, leaders to mentor new leaders, and people who've been wise and around the block a few times to coach all of us so that those lower deficient things in our church actually push up. And that's added to the soil of who we are as the church. And what do I expect? I expect to see in January and February and March as we get to Easter on April 1st of next year, that we're going to move into harvest time, that this is going to be a time where more people meet Jesus, more people are feeling alive, vibrant, and growing in their walk with Jesus Christ, more leaders are being produced at Discovery Church with new ideas about how to do ministry, not only within the church, but in the city of Davis, the cities that surround us, like Woodland and Dixon, and to the ends of the earth, because that's our mission, that's our heart. Health isn't for health's sake. Health is so that we can be strong and reproductive in the life that Christ has given us for his kingdom. Amen? We want to see that Acts chapter 6 verse 7 where increase happens. Increase happens in our life, in our families, and in our church. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us uh, from your word. Thank you for the life and rhythms of the early church, how they instruct us even today, for the wisdom from your Holy Spirit that was upon the, the first leaders, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Nathaniel, and the other apostles to say what needs to happen now for us to do ministry now, to do it well to fulfill what you uh, said would happen through your church, that as the Holy Spirit comes on us, we would receive power to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Lord, here in Davis, at the ends of the earth, <laughs> from Jerusalem, Lord, we want to be those people who from this place emanate out the ministry of Jesus Christ. So we say yes to you increasing our health, increasing the, the, the benefit of our structures and our leadership, our evangelism, our spirituality. Lord, to build on the strengths of our worship and our loving relationships, of our um, groups, and of our gift-oriented ministry, Lord, so that we would be healthy, strong, and whole. For every person here, and especially the persons who are returning to family structures and systems that are shifting, that are changing. I pray, God, that as they meditate on, on your message for us today, Lord God, that they'd be able to carry that back in even this week into Thanksgiving, feasts and celebrations and reunions. God, the benefit of examining 
what needs to work now and how can it work in a healthy way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As a church, we're going to take time to celebrate in communion. Um, so we're going to do things.